Eight months. Eight months. And Michael, we'll see in a moment as he makes his way up here. <laughs> Michael looks like he's a teenager. <laughs> but I know he's engaged to be married, so he's probably not a teenager. <laughs> Although, Going uh, back to I biblical times. Married, so I don't know what that means. I was also stupid. But... <laughs> no. All right. This is Micah Cavell. Micah is our student pastor from Bartlett, and we have, uh, we thank the Lord that he brought Micah to us. So impressed, and I know the, the students, most of these on the front row here will get saved today. Again, he's come running up here about halfway through his sermon and screaming, I can't take it anymore! It's so good! <laughs> Y'all wouldn't do that for me, would you? They already did that in Sunday school. They did? Yeah. Yeah. All right. This is Michael Bell. Y'all welcome him. <laughs> Thank you. Hello? Everybody hear me? All right. Uh, well, if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 John chapter 1. And before we get into all this, on the note that uh, Pastor Randy just mentioned, I do want to read a quick verse for you all. 1 Timothy 4.12 Do not let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So just a reminder that even though I am young, please do not despise me for my youth. And also, as we're having this special fifth Sunday where we have the children in here with us, do not despise your children in their youth and do not underestimate what they can learn, what they can know. I'm sure you're understand, uh, learning more and more each day just how much they can grasp at their age and... Uh, there's going to be some things that we talk about today that might go over their heads, but there's going to be things that they can definitely hold on to as well. But we are going to be in the book of 1 John, and we'll be covering the whole first chapter of 1 John today. But before we get into 1 John, something that I like to do with really any book that I'm preaching on is we have to get a summary of really what the whole book is about. Just like when you're trying to understand um, any book, you want to know what the book's about before you just pick something out of it and start reading. I mean, if you don't know the genre of a book, if you don't know where, uh, where the book's from, who's writing it, you're, you're going to be confused whenever you start reading it, especially if you pick up in the middle. It's a little bit easier for us today because we're going to be starting in the first chapter, but we need to understand what First John is all about. And first of all, uh, this is written by the Apostle John, the same one that wrote the book of John. 
And there are about six different statements that help us understand what the purpose of 1 John is. And I'm just going to read them to us real, uh, to y'all real quick. In the first chapter, it says, first uh, chapter, verses 3 and 4, which we'll be reading today, that which you have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you may too have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that, that our joy may be complete. Uh, and then in chapter 2, we see that he's writing so that we may not sin. Then later we see that he's writing because our sins are forgiven, because you know him who is from the beginning. And then uh, later on he says, uh, he's writing to, uh, to us not because we don't know the truth, but because we know it. And, and also in chapter 2, about, uh, he's writing about those who are trying to deceive you. And finally, in chapter 5, he says, he is writing these uh, things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And most people uh, would take that verse and just say, that's what the whole book of 1 John's about, that we may know we have eternal life. And obviously, John says it, that's obviously a major theme, and that's what John's going to be talking about a lot throughout 1 John. But... Also, like I just read, there were six different statements, at least, that tell us, this is why I'm writing to you. And I think they all go back to what we're going to be reading today in the chapter one, is that he has a desire that all of us would uh, have fellowship in Jesus, and that our joy may be made complete. I believe all these other things that John mentions that this is the purpose that I'm writing. Assurance of salvation is great. He's, writing, uh, he's also writing that we may not sin. That's great. But all of those things are so that we may have fellowship with God, fellowship with one another, and that we may have a complete joy. And I'll be honest, whenever I'm, I come to teach anything, I just love to spend time on joy because that's honestly what I need to be preached about like all the time naturally, when anything happens to me, some people just get really angry. Some, uh, some people, everybody has their different reactions, but I naturally just become depressed most of the time. I naturally just feel bad about myself, feel bad about everything, get cynical about everything, and I just want to give up. That's, that's my natural th- uh, thing whenever my flesh takes over whenever something bad happens, I naturally go to that. So I need to be reminded of the joy that our salvation brings all the time. So we're going to be talking about joy today. If we can wrap up the book, it would be to have joy and fellowship with the only true God and the assurance of our salvation. But today we're going to look at only part of all of that. So our main point today is that uh, it's to have complete joy in fellowship with God. So I'm going to read for us the first chapter of 1 John. It says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed And we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, and we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us. 
and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let me pray for us. Father, we all come to you as unworthy servants. I pray that you remind me and remind all of us how good you are and how much in need of you we are. I pray that we realize we're not worthy to enter your presence without your Son. I pray that you would bless this message that only your truth would be spoken, Lord. That it would only be from your word and your spirit, Lord. Pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So, our first point today that we're going to be talking about is in the first four verses, and it's pretty much our main point, which is complete, uh, complete joy is found in fellowship. So I'm going to read again the first four verses. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed, and we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the, etern- uh, the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. So, as, as I summarize, the whole book is has something to do with our joy in, in some way. All these things, I believe, are adding up to how we can have joy in the Lord. And I'm not about to preach to you some prosperity gospel where we can always have what we want and always get what we want and just get all these worldly pleasures. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not even talking about just like this overwhelming happiness all the time. I'm talking about a joy that no matter what situation is going on, you're resting in Jesus. That's the kind of joy that we're going to be talking about today. The joy that doesn't change, because situations, our life changes all the time. We're about to enter a new year, and there's going to be all kinds of changes that are thrown at us, but we know one thing, that Jesus stays the same. And we know that complete joy is found in fellowship. And first of all, we know that complete joy is found in fellowship with Jesus. So we must find our fellowship with Jesus. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So if y'all are familiar with the book of John, he's starting 1 John 
kind of uh, like how he started the book of John, where we see in the book of John, John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him anything was made. Not anything was made. So, he's starting out in the very same way. He says, that which was from the beginning. So he's even pointing back to what he's already written in the book of John. In the beginning was the Word, which we would later be revealed, the Word is Jesus. So, when he says that which was from the beginning, he's talking about Jesus here. He lists off all these things about Jesus, but then he gets to that point in verse 3. He says, What we have seen, heard, and also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So the reason he's listing these things off listing these attributes of Jesus, listing the fact that they've seen him, touched him, that's even for our joy. Because Jesus is the ultimate place to find our joy. Jesus Jesus is the only place to find our joy. And he starts listing off characteristics of Jesus. And like uh, like one of the verses was mentioned before, John was trying to make sure that these people weren't deceived. There was false teachers at this time, and there's, there's reasons why he uses some of this language where he says that he's seen him with, uh, they've seen him with their eyes, and they've even touched him. Like, he was physically there, and this is something that we can even forget about, even though we just went through the Christmas season. We, talk, uh, we can even get the meaning of Christmas right. Like, oh, Christmas is about the birth of Jesus Christ. That's what we're celebrating. But even in our minds and in our hearts, we can almost treat it like it's some fairy tale. We don't realize the reality that Jesus really came down, was really walked on this earth, really was in front of John to the point where he can say, I've seen him, I've heard him, I talked to him, I touched him. I've been with Jesus. And I don't want us to forget that. We just went through this Christmas season, but it's easy to forget that. We can almost treat like everything about religion is spiritual and anything physical just doesn't seem real about religion. But Jesus really came and was physically there. So we must find our joy in fellowship with Jesus, but we also must realize we, have, we can only find our true joy in the true Jesus. That's why he starts listing off these things and making sure these people aren't deceived because there's people that were claiming that Jesus didn't actually come down in a real physical body. They're like, there's, there's no way. They had this bad idea of flesh and said, there's no way that God could actually become a man. Like, that, that doesn't make any sense. It just didn't make any sense in their head, so they denied it. Even though it clearly is all over Scripture that the Word became flesh, that He was truly man, the fact that He died... Like, only a man can truly die like that. So he was clarifying all these things. And we're, we're talk, I'm, I'm bringing all this up because when we have... I know we have a lot of parents in here with their children. They're, these aren't the only lies that are told about Jesus. The only way that we can have true joy, the only way that you can have true joy, the only way that your children can have true joy as if they're trusting in the true Jesus. If they're trusting in something that is unwavering and not some uh, 
false lie that these other religions might spread of him. And I understand when we start talking about some of these things, because we start reading through this, the fact that God became man, the fact that he was in the beginning, before he was actually born on earth, he existed. Like, that's, that's a weird thing to comprehend, and it's an especially hard thing as a parent to try to tell somebody that's young. But we must not shy away from these things. Because in my, uh, in my conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, whoever, like, they actually t- uh, tell you that people, when they, when they hear my belief system, what, when I lay out what we uh, believe, and they say the people that claim those beliefs are the ones that most likely will come over uh, to their religion, to Mormonism especially, is where I've heard it the most. Like, and we're not training up children. We're not training up people. We're not even training up ourselves to be prepared for those things. So many of us will see somebody from another religion say different things about Jesus and you can just say, I know they're wrong. But John's specifically pointing out this, these doctrines for a reason to the church that they would know it. And if we're going to find our joy and you want to have confidence that you have the right Jesus, that you are, you're trusting in the right thing, that you're trusting in the true Jesus of the Bible, the true God of the Bible, and you haven't been led astray like these other religions have, is by knowing what His Word says. By te- and making sure your children don't stray into that stuff is by teaching them what God's Word says, even when it's complicated and you may not fully understand it. But we see the true Jesus, when it lists off these things, that he was from the beginning, that he was physically on earth. That's why he actually was uh, able to touch him. But then we also see in verse 2 that he was revealed, and we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. So he's eternal. He's always existed. This is the Jesus that we serve. We must have that foundation. This is the Jesus that we must go to if we're going to find complete joy. So you might be in here, I mean, I'm not at the Arlington campus, I'm at the Bartlett campus. There could be plenty of visitors in here that, I've never, uh, that have never walked into a church before, or you've been going to other churches, and you've believed the, believed the lie that Jesus was just a man, or that he became a god, or whatever, or you just have no understanding of who this Jesus truly is. If you're not trusting in the Jesus of the Bible, Paul actually warns us that we can trust in the wrong Jesus. Somebody that goes by the name of Jesus and isn't actually Jesus. So we must find it in the true Jesus. That's why John made sure to clarify these things. He is the God that was in the beginning. Just like he said in John 1, the Word was with God and the Word was God. All things were created through Him. And that Creator entered His creation. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. But not only do we see that we need to find our true joy in Jesus, but we need to find our true joy in fellowship with each other. So notice what he says in uh, verse 3. It says, We have seen and heard, we also declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship was with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So actually the first thing he mentions is he... He wants them to all have fellowship with each other. 
And we're talking about joy. I don't know if you're lacking joy in your life. One, it might be because you're not trusting in the right source of joy. Or you might know Jesus. You might know all the right things. You might be trusting in the God of the Bible, but you're not plugged into a local church and a body of believers. He... John specifically says, the reason I'm telling you that I want you to have fellowship is so that you have joy. So maybe the reason you don't have joy in life is because you haven't plugged into that body of believers. You might show up here every Sunday, but you haven't, you're not embracing the fellowship of believers. That's what Jesus wants for you. That's, maybe that is why you can't get out of the rut of depression. Maybe that's why you just don't feel content in life is because you haven't plugged into what Jesus made you to plug into. He made the church for a reason. So just think through some of these questions. Do you really believe that Jesus was God in the flesh? Have you truly trusted in that? Do you know these truths well enough to teach them? And are you actually involved in the fellowship of a local church? But true joy, complete joy is found in fellowship with Jesus. If, you don't have the, uh, if you're not truly trusting in Jesus, you're not going to find the joy. This is really the main thrust of all this message, but the, others will kind of, uh, the other two points will add on to this on how this actually works itself out. So our second point is, uh, so first point is complete joy is found in fellowship. But second point is true fellowship means looking like Jesus. So read with me in uh, verses 5 through 7. It says, This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light and are not practicing, uh, if if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So, it tells us that if if you truly have fellowship with Jesus, like we're talking about, then you're going to act like Jesus. Because when we talk about the word fellowship, I'm, I'm sure y'all, uh, a lot of y'all have heard the word before, but we're talking about the Greek word koinonia. The Greek word koinonia comes from sharing things in common. That's what it's talking about in fellowship. It's talking about sharing, having things in common. And he specifically points out what fellowship is there between light and darkness? Nothing. They're complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Yet, so many of us, and even as Christians, we have plenty of moments in our life that we're claiming Jesus, but living in darkness. We're claiming, uh, claiming Jesus and doing nothing that He would approve of. It is a contradiction to claim to have something in common with Christ while living a life that opposes Him. We have to realize that even the term Christian, when we claim to be a Christian, it really just means to be a little Christ. We are putting Christ's name on everything that we do. 
end. If we're truly talking about the God who says God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in Him, how can we say we have fellowship with Him when we're living in darkness? And this isn't something to scare you. This isn't something to just be like, because all of us have darkness. All of us have sin. All of us are not perfect. We're even going to get into that a little bit later. But it's talking about those who continuously live in it. Because we can all say, yeah, I know God. Like, I believe in God. But do you actually have fellowship with Him? Has He changed your life? Because it's a complete contradiction. So many of us, we get caught up in the things of the world. And if you're living a life that you're just doing whatever you want to do, if you're, if you're trying to live the double life, if you're going and doing whatever you want and embracing the sin and saying that you're, you have fellowship with God, you're lying. It's, uh, it even says... If we walk in light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with Him, one another, the blood, uh, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So it says if, if we have this consistent life of walking in the light, then that's how we can know we have forgiveness of sin. But also, don't get confused with the fact that I'm saying walk in the light and that's how you get forgiveness of sin. That's a different statement. Walk in the light and that's how you know you have forgiveness of sin. Do you see the difference? One is, because I walked in the light, because I did good things, God saved me. And the other side is, because God saved me, now I do good things. Now I live in the light. It says, if we... uh, if we walk in dark, uh, say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we are lying and do not practice the truth. And remember what this con- uh, the connection it's making here. If all of this is connecting to our joy, it's actually telling us that walking in the light, walking in God's commandments, brings joy. And sometimes it really doesn't seem like that. I understand it doesn't. So many times, like every bit of restriction in our life, we've almost been told that all these restrictions on our lives are bad. Like, even if it is bad, I should at least have the opportunity to do it. But maybe you're in here and you don't have joy, you don't have contentment because you're you actually do have fellowship with God in some way, but you're embracing the darkness. Maybe it's your sin in your life that's causing so much pain and depression in your heart. Maybe it's the life that you're living that says that's hypocritical. When, when we actually look at the book of John, it uses this picture of light and darkness over and over again. And every single time, light goes with life and darkness goes with death. So actually, just like it says, for the wages of sin is death, when we're participating in any of these sins, whether small or big, according to our view, all of, all of those sins 
are pointless and leading to death. Maybe you feel like life is so pointless and you should... Honestly, maybe you're in here and you've, you've contemplated suicide and you thought maybe death will be better because all you've participated is, in is death. All you've participated in is the things that lead to death. All you've participated in is, are the things that don't satisfy, that don't bring joy. And maybe it's because you don't actually have that fellowship with the, uh, with the Jesus that we're ta- uh, we're, we've talked about. He, he is the source of all of this. Whether you're obeying, wh- uh, whether you're disobeying, obeying, that the, all the joy comes from Jesus. So, even doing good works apart from Jesus is not going to give you the uh, ultimate source of joy. If you're doing a good work for your own benefit... That's not going to give you the same joy. That's not what you were made to do. So, the question that we need to ask is, are we walking in the light? Can we really look at our life and say, I'm walking in the light? And to ask these questions, even though you're, you know you're a Christian, is not a bad thing. Paul even tells us to test to see if we're in the faith. We don't ever need to look back in our life to some prayer that we said and say, that's the reason that I'm saved. Because I said that prayer that one time. You obviously didn't mean that prayer if your life never changed after. And the reason, I know we have the children in here, I know this, this is kind of throwing in some negative ideas, but if, if you as parents and as you as children that are listening in here, if you want to find joy and you want your children to find joy, stop magnifying anything, uh, everything else but Jesus. If you want your kids to have the right worldview and to actually have a joyful life, Make sure that they trust in Jesus for that joy, because nothing else will. Make sure that they understand you can't live that double life. Make them understand that you can't just say, I trust in Jesus, and then live the exact opposite. You haven't really trusted in Jesus if if it never relates to how you live your life. And do we really believe that there's joy in obedience? Just think about that. In, in your attitude, in your heart, we, I might be able to ask a lot of y'all that and say, yeah, there's joy in obedience. But whenever you come to that decision where you have to obey or disobey, does it always feel like there's joy in obedience? No. Sometimes you just want to do what you want to do. But part, uh, part of all of this is trusting in God's plan that even when you do something that you don't want to do, if it's what God wants you to do, that there's going to be joy. Doesn't mean that you're going to have a great life. It's always, doesn't mean that, oh, 
since God told me to share the gospel with uh, whoever I can, I'm going to share the gospel with my boss, and I get, uh, and I won't get fired because I'm going to have joy. Like that's not the connection that we should make. Like it doesn't mean there's no bad uh, bad things that are going to happen to us because we're doing what God has told us to do. It just means that no matter what bad things are thrown at us, we can have that joy. Our third point is looking uh, like Jesus can only happen through the work of Jesus. So, look with me in verse 8. It says, If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So, it owns up to the, uh, to the fact here, when we're talking about darkness and light, it says, if we say we don't have sin, then we're a liar. So, make sure, don't get confused with the fact that you have to live a perfect life to be saved. Because, if we say we don't have sin... We're deceiving ourselves. We're just ignorant to all of it. But the promise is, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But one of my favorite things about this verse is actually the Greek word used for confess. The Greek word used for confess here is homo uh, logomen, which is... Homo, same, and then logomen, which comes from logos, the, the word that we use for word. The same, uh, the same title that was given to Jesus. The same uh, word that's used for any, pretty much any time you see word in the Bible, you'll see logos. So the word confess actually means to say the same words about your sin that Jesus does. To say the same thing that Jesus does. So if Jesus has a big view of your sin and you, you don't, and you just say, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that, that's not confession. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm, I'm glad that you've at least gotten to that point where you can say, I shouldn't have done that. But when he asks us to confess, he's saying, say the same thing about your sin that I would. Say that it is a terrible thing that you deserve hell for. Don't belittle your sin and say it's not a big deal. And I know all of us are good with that with certain sins. There's plenty of sins that we can point out and say, oh yeah, that's terrible. But that's the sin that we don't struggle with. It's always the sins that we struggle with that become smaller and smaller. And we'll say, yeah, it's bad, but we're just not convinced it's that bad. We know, like, oh, I see some of the things that are wrong with it, but it's not really that bad. But when you look in the Scripture, God calls it an abomination. That's what I'm talking about. When We need to confess and say the same thing about our sin that God does. We don't need to belittle the thing that's so offensive to God. Just, just like any time, I'm not sure how familiar y'all are, which I'm, it's pretty common sense whenever you're talking to, uh, to somebody and they've gone through some kind of trauma, somebody's hurt them, it's probably best not to belittle it whenever they come to you. Like, 
if somebody has been through some crazy trauma and you say, oh, that's not a big deal. When, the, when it's been one of the most hurtful, harmful uh, things in their life and in their heart. Like, y'all might have been in that situation where you've had something so terrible done to you and somebody looks at you and is like, well, I don't see what the big deal is. That's what we do every single time we look lightly at sin. We do these things that are terribly offensive to the perfect and holy God and we say, it's not a big deal. That's not what he's asking for. He's asking to say, say the same thing that I would say about it. It is terrible. That, it, that it, you deserve death for it. And that's, and that's not just something to make you feel bad about yourself. But in some way we should. We do have guilt. We do have shame. But Jesus took all of that. And that's what's beautiful about the rest of this verse. If you confess. It says, verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and then cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that shame that you automatically put on yourself whenever you confess it is automatically taken away because... You've confessed it and Jesus paid for it. And I'm not saying that that's something you have to do for every single one of your sins and it's paid off every time you confess it. When you're saved, you're saved. But when you have that first moment of confession, and you may have never had that moment, Jesus cleanses you from all unrighteousness. He doesn't see that sin anymore. He doesn't look at you with disgust. He doesn't look at you with shame. He sees Jesus' righteousness on you. And we know that when He does this, He is both faithful and righteous. When it mentions His faithfulness, I automatically think back to the Old Testament. The fact that we're talking about Jesus being faithful... Well, I, I don't get uh, the chance to be as plugged in at the Arlington campus, so every once in a while I'll turn on just one of the sermons from Sunday at the Arlington campus just to know what y'all are hearing, what, uh, what's going on at the Arlington campus. And especially when I was preaching this past Sunday, or this Sunday, I wanted to hear what uh, was preached this past Sunday. And to hear what was preached from the book of Micah, I was kind of upset when I realized that he wasn't talking about the humble Micah being me, but... Uh, but Nonetheless, it was a promise of the Messiah hundreds of years before He was ever born. When we think about the faithfulness of God, we can look to points... I shared a story to the uh, students today of how God was faithful to us. There's plenty of points in our lives that we could look at and say God was faithful but even more so, not just in our lives, this is a whole book of God's faithfulness. A whole book of, as soon as we sin, God promised that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, promising the Gospel. And from that moment, from the moment we sinned, God has still been faithfully pursuing us. So when it says He is faithful, that when He says, if you confess your sins you will be saved, He will keep His promise. 
just like he kept his promise over hundreds of years from the Old Testament all the way to the New and still today. Just, I love the fact that we sang, one of my favorite songs is what we uh, sang earlier, is great is thy faithfulness. Because that's, without his faithfulness, we have no hope. If God isn't faithful to us, he would have dropped us a long time ago. He is faithful, but not only is He faithful to save us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but He's also righteous to do so. And the only way that He can be righteous is by what we're celebrating at Christmas time. That He came down in the form of man to die for our sins. The fact that He took the punishment for us. That's why He can say it's right. And He's, he's not just some God that is all lovey-dovey and forgets about all the punishments that need to be done. Forget about justice. If if we had a government that just completely forgot about justice and just gave grace to every single person that murdered and stole and lied, whatever, we would say, that's unjust. We can't support anything like this. But he satisfied that justice. He satisfied that righteousness by being the righteousness for us. And that's the only way that we can have joy in this life is if we know that we have that salvation. Because as, as I mentioned uh, earlier with some, uh, some of the students, just how much I used to worry in my life when I was younger. The only way that I could get joy in my life and escape that problem of worrying is in the confidence of what Jesus did, nothing that I could do. Because honestly, I was kind of living in our second point, that if you're, if you're going to be, say you have fellowship with God, then you're going to walk in the light. And I, every single day I saw how I wasn't walking in the light. And I said, how can I have peace in this? And that might be you. Like, how, how can I know that I'm saved? How can I know that I, like, how can I have joy in this when I don't know any of this? When I'm walking in darkness, when I keep on doing things that God doesn't approve of. We look to the faithfulness of God and we confess our sins and say, everything you said about my sin is right. And I know that no matter how bad I am, that you, your grace is greater. Our sins there are many, but His mercy is more. That's one of my favorite songs. Our sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. And that's not an approval to sin as, well, as you would see if you keep on reading throughout John, especially just getting into the next chapter, he says, I'm writing these things so that you do not sin. But we have confidence when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We don't have to worry. We, we should struggle with that, that, am I walking in the light? But don't let that passage defeat you when you have truly confessed, you've truly laid down your life for Jesus. Because even when you're not faithful, He is. So, just a few points of application before we're done. We need to learn the true Christ and teach the true Christ in our, uh, to our friends and family. This is how we can all find fellowship and joy and contentment. 
That's, that's the only way that we can do it, is if we have this true Jesus, we know who this Jesus is. And I'm not saying you have to be some theologian, know all the ins and outs of stuff, but be familiar with it. Know the fact that Jesus did exist beforehand. It, maybe learn a verse, John 1.1, 1, 1, it's easy to remember. Just start reading in John 1.1, 1, 1, you'll see a, uh, a verse that points you to the fact that Jesus is God and He existed from the beginning. He created all things. Make that effort and make that effort to, be, to teach that to your children. You might be later on in life and say, I still don't know these uh, things, but don't you wish you would have known it a lot earlier? And we have a whole bunch of kids in here that are sponges that can soak up anything that we give them. Also, we need to embrace the truth that obedience leads to life and joy. Stop looking at obedience as a burden. Even though it can be sometimes, realize it's a burden that brings joy, that is good for you. Sometimes we're like a little child that is so determined not to take their medicine because it tastes bad. But that's how you get better. Sometimes we don't want to obey, but that's how... That's what we're supposed to do. That's how we find our joy. That's how we get out of the rut that we're in. And finally, we need to confess our sins and trust in the faithfulness and justice of Jesus Christ. You'll never find joy if you're trusting in anything else. You'll never find joy if you're trusting in your good works, the fact that you don't have as many sins as the other person. Trust in the fact that He's done all the work And the reason he had to die is because your sin's a big deal. And you need to say the same thing about your sin that he does. I'm going to pray for us and then hand it off to Randy. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the love that you show us. I thank you for the fact that we can wrestle through some of these things. We know who you are. We know how good you are. That you are light. There is no darkness in you. Lord, and we are sinful. We sin every day. We walk in darkness all the time. But we know that You are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we just confess it. If we come to You needy and humble, I thank You for the love that You show us, Lord. I thank You for the fact that we can have fellowship and I pray that these truths would be a joy to us no matter what we're going through. These aren't all the truths that bring us joy, but these are just some of them. I pray that we would only find, seek and find our joy in You. I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.